Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bible Backdrop. Today, I'm finishing up my series on the cities of Paul's letters. This episode, I'll talk about both the cities of Colossae and Thessalonica. We're going to start with Colossae, and, well, there isn't much to say about the city. Unlike other places, Colossae remains unexcavated. As a result, we don't know a lot of details, but there are some things we do know. First, Colossae was located in Anatolia, modern-day Turkey. It was 120 miles east of Ephesus. It lay in the Lycus River Valley at the head of a gorge where two streams unite. It also lay on the major road going from Ephesus to the Euphrates and was dominated by the 8,000-foot-high Mount Cadmus. The city appears to have been founded by the Hittites until 1200 BC when it was occupied by a group of Phrygians, who we talked about in the episode on Corinth. During the Persian Empire, it was the city center of a district, or satrapy. Like every other city, it was eventually conquered by Alexander the Great and eventually Rome. The cities of Laodicea, mentioned four times in Paul's letter and twice in the book of Revelation, was 10 miles away, while Heropolis, mentioned in chapter 4, verse 13, was 13 miles away. The history of Colossae was entwined with these cities. As these cities grew, it appears that Colossae dwindled in importance. Unlike the other cities of Paul's letters, it appears that he didn't visit Colossae before he wrote this letter and the one called Philemon, whose namesake probably lived there also. It looks as if the church has been started by Epaphras, as mentioned in chapter 1, verse 7. We know nothing else about him besides what is in the letter. It is very possible that he may have heard Paul on a visit to Ephesus at the school of Tyrannus. No matter how or where it happened, he became a follower of Christ and established a church in Colossae. For some reason, maybe to get some advice on battling a heresy or to bring a gift, he visits Paul in Rome, who then writes the letter to the Colossians. The letter hits on some basic tenets of the faith as Paul tells them to focus on living out the Christian life and then continue growing in Jesus. It also appears that Judaizers had started to infiltrate the church, and this may have led to Epaphras seeking out Paul. If he was a Gentile, he would not have known how to combat against their teaching that Christians had to follow the law of Moses. Before closing the book on Colossae, I want to talk about the book of Philemon. Like I said earlier, Philemon may have been a member of the church in Colossae. He had a slave named Onesimus who ran away and somehow got to Rome and met Paul. He became a follower of Jesus and a fellow believer. In the letter, Paul sends him back to Philemon. By rights, Philemon could have had him killed, but Paul asks that he accepts Onesimus as he would accept Paul himself. He also reminds Philemon that he owes Paul his life, since apparently it was through Paul that he came to Christ. Some of this, I'm sure, is tongue-in-cheek, but in another way, I'm sure Paul is setting the expectation that Philemon will accept Onesimus and treat him properly. So now we come to the last stop in our travels, the city of Thessalonica. Now, I hear some of you saying that I skipped the city. Yeah, I did. But the history of the city of Rome is a podcast in and of itself. Not an episode, a full podcast. If you want to learn more about the city of Rome, there are hundreds of documentaries and podcasts out there to guide you. Instead, we're going on to Thessalonica, which is located in Macedonia, about 100 miles from Philippi. 
Thessalonica is a large port city on the northernmost point of the Thermaic Gulf, also known as the Gulf of Salonica. It appears to have been established in 315 BC by the Macedonian king Cassander, son of Antipater, who enlarged the settlement already there and strengthened it. He then renamed it Thessalonica after his wife, who was the daughter of Philip II and a half-sister of Alexander the Great. Later, in 168 BC, the Macedon king Perseus fought the Romans in the Battle of Pydna during the Third Macedonian War. Thessalonica became populous and wealthy during this time, as it was the headquarters for the Macedonian navy during the war. Afterwards, Rome divided the territory into four districts, and the city became the capital of the second district. Later, in 146 BC, Rome reorganized the districts into the province of Macedonia. Thessalonica served as the seat of the governor and, for all intents and purposes, was the capital of the province. Later, in the civil war between Caesar and Pompey, the city sided with Pompey and became one of his chief bases. Six years later, it sided with Antony and Octavian in the war ending the Roman Republic I talked about in the episode on Philippi. Because of this, Thessalonica was declared a free city, meaning it had a degree of self-autonomy and may have been exempt from taxes. Several writers and poets of the time talk about how the city was the most populous and important town in Macedonia. It was not only a great seaport, but it was also a principal location on the Via Ignatia, the great road that went from the Adriatic all the way to the Hellespont. Currently, the city of Thessaloniki sits atop the ancient city, so there hasn't been much excavation there. In 1962, when a bus station was torn down, they discovered a forum from the 1st or 2nd century AD. Excavators also found a bathhouse and a mint from the 1st century along with an odium, which is a building used for musical performances. Other researches show pictures of what looks like a large theater. Thessalonica was a fairly large and well-to-do city, but population appears to be hard to estimate. Numbers range from 35,000 to 150,000. It probably had close to 50,000 full-time residents, but since it was such an important place for commerce, there could have been almost double that number in the city at any one time. The population was mostly made up of Greeks, but there was a significant amount of Romans. There was also a substantial Jewish population in the city with an established synagogue. We see Paul and Silas come to Thessalonica in Acts 17 after he has departed Philippi. As is his usual custom, he first goes to the synagogue to persuade the Jews, using the scriptures as evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. He did this for three Sabbaths, and a number of Jews, God-fearing Gentiles, and some of the leading women of the city became followers of Jesus. This angers the remaining Jews, and they start a mob, attacking the house of someone named Jason, where Paul and Silas were staying. Not finding them there, they drag out Jason and proclaim that he is housing people that are breaking the law by proclaiming Jesus as king instead of Caesar, contrary to Roman law. Paul and Silas are then sent away to Berea, a small out-of-the-way town. There they preach again in the synagogue and convert many Jews and Greeks. However, the Jews in Thessalonica get wind of this and go to Berea to stir up the same trouble. Paul then leaves and goes on to Athens. With Paul having to leave Thessalonica so quickly, it was hard to establish a formal structure and give the church instructions in living out their faith. As a result, Paul wrote these letters to fill in some gaps. I've read a post one time that it seems like Paul had two types of letters to his churches. The first was, you're doing good, 
Here are some instructions. Stay away from heresies and keep the faith. The second one was, can you clowns not act right for five minutes? Think Corinthians and Galatians. The letters to the Thessalonians fall into the first category. It is definitely a letter of encouragement and exhortation along with instructions for daily life. Of all Paul's letters, it is probably the heaviest on end times teaching. On that note, we close out this series on the cities of Paul's epistles. I hope you've enjoyed this topic and that understanding a little about the city helps give you context to these letters. If you're enjoying Bible Backdrop, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review. As always, word of mouth is the best way for this podcast to grow, so please tell a friend and have them subscribe. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email the show at BibleBackdrop at gmail.com. Now that this series is complete, I'll be moving on to a new topic. I have a good list going, but if you have a topic that you would like to hear, please email me and I'll take a look at it. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks again for listening to Bible Backdrop. Backdrop.